all rise. The judge stays in the Bronx. The reigning MVP will reside in New York over the next nine years, but what does that mean for the rest of the roster? Plus all the other big signings that took place over the past few days. A big blow in Buffalo as Von Miller's season is done. Is all the talk regarding Odell Beckham Jr.'s return to the NFL a waste of time? The latest with the World Cup as we get closer to crowning a champion. I'll check what's happening in the association and on the ice as well. I got you covered as another sports podcast party is about to be set off. It's all coming up, but first, this message. What has happened to my good people? Thank you so much for passing by to listen to me wax poetic as I talk about anything and everything that's happening in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm on all available platforms. You can also go to the website at www.jreels.com for more information about yours truly, the podcast, archive shows, etc. All I want to do is increase the visibility of this podcast, so please throw me a few stars, write a review. It will go a long way into getting the word out. Even take a screenshot, send it to your friends, send it to me on social media. I'm more than happy, willing, able, and open to get your feedback on what it is that you enjoy most about the J Reels podcast. So with that being said, let's hit it. The J Reels podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J. Rills Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? I hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits. Lots of wheeling and plenty of dealing in the sports world. And yours truly will have it all for you here on a silver platter over the next hour as this is the J. Reels Podcast with your host, J. Reels. For my first-timers, welcome aboard. And for those who've been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even as early as this past Monday... I welcome you guys and gals back. Quite a bit to get into, and who would have thought that here on this December 8th, and a shout out to my boy Rob Pena, who today celebrates his 53rd birthday, a longtime friend of mine, and actually his son goes to school at Syracuse and will play in a bowl game right here in our backyard at Yankee Stadium, so I'm sure that's got to be a thrill for him as Trevor Pena, who I mentioned on the podcast once upon a time, maybe in the last couple months. But anyway, with that being said, happy birthday to you, Rob. Many, many more, my guy. But here it is in early December, two weeks away from Christmas, a little more than two weeks, and in these neck of the woods in the tri-state area of New York, it has actually been very mild, rainy, but it feels more like an early spring than it does a late fall. And we're going to pivot instead of football, that's right people, no NFL to start off the podcast because everything that's happened in the world of baseball over the last few days has made your head spin and then some. And there's so much to get into, and I understand that this could be a podcast unto itself, considering a lot of the different angles, a lot of the different storylines, the tweets that went viral, but at the same time had to be pulled back. And I'll start off with Aaron Judge, because he was the top free agent coming into this offseason, as we all know about his 
record-breaking performance in the regular season, crowned with an AL MVP, etc. And as early as Tuesday morning, a lot of people thought that maybe Aaron Judge would not re-sign with the Bombers and would not don the pinstripes and probably wear a uniform of a team somewhere out in the West Coast, in particular the northern part of California, where the Giants, as we discussed before in the past, wine, dine, brought in Steph Curry, etc. And then there was a late arrival by another team to the party where they decided to throw their hat in the ring down the coast. No, not in LA, but in San Diego. And the same San Diego team that put forth an offer for one Trey Turner that actually would have been more than what Trey Turner got in Philadelphia, 11 years and $300 million. And to me, that's a lot of money for a leadoff guy. I understand he's a very talented ball player. Not great defensively. Yes, he can hit, but not a clutch hitter. And the Padres were looking to go all in on Turner, but with he going to Philadelphia to reunite with his old buddy Bryce Harper, listen, it makes the Phillies a lot much better potent as far as their lineup is concerned, and it definitely lengthens that lineup. But And the Phillies have certainly wheeled and deal, Taiwan Walker, etc., but I digress. Back to Judge with the Padres now coming into the mix. And then this story about Judge in Time Magazine being the Athlete of the Year and him being furious about how the negotiations went in the early part of spring to where Brian Cashman put forth that statement that, yes, we had an offer, $213 million, seven years. It was on the table, but he decided not to take it. I understand that was the Yankees saving face to be transparent as he was quoted. And which was a different move than what we've seen here with GMs over the years. Because generally they're the ones that are close to the vest. They don't want to release any information to anybody. But the Yankees, again, trying to do their best to put forth to their fan base that we have made an offer. And if he's not going to take it, we're just going to throw our arms up in the air. So with San Diego now being a part of the discussion on top of this Time Magazine article, which looked like... Aaron Judge was going to make the move out to the West Coast. And a lot of people thought it was going to be San Francisco about how much his family being an hour and a half away, being a Giant fan from a young boy, and maybe uprooting from Gotham to Silicon Valley. It looked like it was almost a formality that this was going to happen based on all of what took place there on Tuesday. And then to put the cherry on top, or maybe the cherry on the tombstone, for one John Heyman, baseball writer, who had tweeted that it was a done deal, Aaron Judge going to San Francisco, which caused a frenzy in the Twitter world, but then seven minutes later had to retract that by saying, oops, my apologies, I jumped the gun. And then when we go back to even the day before, where the Yankees re-signed Brian Cashman, four-year deal, and I'm sure there were a lot of moans and groans here throughout the Bronx, Brooklyn, Manhattan, the whole five boroughs, and even Long Island, Westchester County, etc., And it was a move that I actually chuckled at because it seemed like the Yankees were not going to get out of their own way considering how much Brian Cashman is a part of the family, almost a stepson, well I shouldn't say that, an adopted son by the Steinbrenners when it comes to Brian Cashman. So now let me get to this. So Cashman then signs on the dotted line four more years, releases a statement about Aaron Judge saying that we're going to take our time with Judge, there's going to be no rush. And it made me think, why is he even putting that out there? What if Aaron Judge on January 1st decides, all right, 
I'm going to go to San Francisco where you had a three and a half week period that even Brian Cashman admitted that they weren't going to do anything until they find out what Judge is going to do. And of course, at the time you're thinking it's asinine for him to even put out a statement like that, but you knew that once he signed on the dotted line, I'm sure there had to be a handshake agreement knowing that Judge was going to be part of the mix here no matter whether it be San Diego in the 11th hour going ahead and trying to put forth a deal, which I believe was in the ballpark of 10 years and $400 million. But Hal Steinbrenner, who was actually in Italy at the time, and I'm sure maybe he's still on vacation there, the whole story that broke, or at least it was reported, that Hal Steinbrenner called Aaron Judge and said, what is it going to take for you to be a Yankee? And I'm sure even with that 10-year, $400 million offer that the Padres put forth, I'm sure he said, give me one more year, I want to make $40 million a year, make it at 360 and I'll be a Yankee for life. And that's what happened. Early yesterday morning, the news breaks. Everybody in Yankee land is jumping up and down. Did they overpay for Aaron Judge? I think a 1,000%. But unfortunately for the Yankees, they had to do it. They couldn't let this guy walk out of the door after a historic season at the plate and pretty much dragging the Yankees through the finish line and avoiding an epic collapse there in the AL East. And now they're going to be stuck with this contract. Let's call it as we see it because you would only hope that from year one through, let's say, year five, if Judge could put forth numbers that will make him at least a top five MVP candidate, then the contract will pay back dividends. If he's going to be in and out of the lineup, if he's going to be out for long stretches at a time, if it's a scenario where he's going to have three peak MVP years right out of the gate, and then it's up and down the rest of the way, we all know that $360 million is a boatload of money. Even the Mike Trout contract, and I believe it didn't net him one MVP. But as we know, in 2021, he was out of the lineup with that calf, or I believe that Achilles for pretty much two-thirds of a season. Last year, although played well, but being in Anaheim, you might as well be a ghost. And now you have another, I guess, what, nine years or even eight years at least with that contract of Mike Trout? And what kind of production you're going to get knowing that he has this back ailment that may not be debilitating, but it's going to be nagging throughout the rest of his career. And he's already at the age, I believe, 30-31. And you already have a player now in Judge, even though coming off of this monster year, now you're going to have to wonder whether or not Is this guy going to stay healthy? He's not going to go 62-120 and bat 311, at least I would think, from now to the end of his Yankee career. So you have all these different factors, but I get it. Let the dust settle from the signing. Let him have his day in the Bronx where he's going to not necessarily raise the 99 jersey because we already know the number that he wears, but he's going to don the hat, have the pop and circumstance with the flashbulbs, the shrimp cocktail, and the carving board at Yankee Stadium to reintroduce Aaron Judge and his thought process to him either almost deciding to take his talents out to the West Coast, or did he know altogether that this was the place he was going to stay? He was entertaining offers and all types of scenarios, being a free agent for the first and, in all likelihood, only time in his major league career. So the Yankees get there, man. They don't have to worry about having to deal with the back and forth on negotiations, phone calls, rumors 
other teams, etc. Now they can exhale. And let's see what they're going to do with this roster. Because even though they bring back Judge, and even though they bring back Rizzo, and I get it, they signed Tommy Canely, the one-time Yankee reliever, back, what was it, two years, $11 million. But there are plenty of holes on this team. I mean, think about this. You have a third baseman who is not only aging, but well past his prime, that I'm sure Brian Cashman will want to get out on a dime. You have a situation with a center fielder who had played left field and was fumbling, bumbling, stumbling out there and won Aaron Hicks. And by the way, if you're wondering who that third baseman is, it's Josh Donaldson. Aaron Hicks, who has three years and $30 million on his contract, that's another guy you want to jettison out of here. We understand that the shortstop scenario is wide open with the young guys, the Anthony Volpes and the Oswaldo Perazas of the world, but then you also have Isaiah Kainafalefa, who's probably going to be the stopgap for one more year. Scenario where you have... Gleyber Torres, a guy that I think that they should trade for maybe a starting pitcher or even an outfielder for that matter. And why not? I don't think he's going to get any better considering that he's regressed since that 2019 year and his rookie year to where he was third in the rookie of the year voting. There's a lot of question marks on this team and even that catcher too. I understand Jose Trevino was a platinum glove and he did make an all-star team last year, but how did he perform at the plate in the postseason? And that's on top of what Judge did in the postseason, which has been a big, giant question mark on whether or not he could come through in the clutch. But that's another story. And with the rotation as it is, Garrett Cole, Jameson Tyon signs with the Cubs for four years at $68 million. You still have Luis Severino. You also have Nestor Cortez, but Cortez, you kind of wonder, is is the clock going to strike 12 with him next year, considering he had an all-star year and a very good year overall? And where do you fit the pieces on a team that is aging, not really athletic, and is still right-hand dominant? What do you do? You're not going to have a lot of flexibility when it comes to the luxury tax, Because with Cole, Stanton, and now Judge making well over $300 million, you have to wonder what's left on the table as far as, is it going to be scraps? Are they going to be a little bit creative when it comes to trying to make a trade? Let's say Gleyber Torres to bring back a young pitcher that's on a team that will most likely be in fourth or in last place in their division. Can they pull off something like that? It certainly remains to be seen. So even with Judge back, and I'm sure the Yankee fan is ecstatic, and rightfully so, but it's not as if this team, although they're playoff ready and playoff bound, as we've seen over the last few years, but who are going to be those key players that's going to take this team, not only just to the World Series, but to win the whole thing? And that's what you have to ask yourself here on December 8th. And then another huge deal came through the wire this morning, where Xander Bogarts, After the Red Sox signed the Japanese slugger, five years, $90 million. And let me see if I can pronounce his name because you know me with names here. But the Red Sox get a guy who's 29 years old, Masataka Yoshida. Obviously, I wouldn't know him if he fell on me. Let's see what kind of production he's going to bring to a Red Sox team that's going to need it because Xander Bogarts signed an 11-year, $280 million deal with the San Diego Padres. And you want to talk about a team that is just plugging in holes and spending, I don't want to say frivolously, but you got to wonder what is going on with the GM, A.J. Preller, the owner, and that whole organization because 
Obviously, they went after Trey Turner, as I mentioned earlier, with the $341 million deal that was nixed by the former Washington and L.A. Dodgers shortstop. Then they went after Judge with the proposed 10-year, $400 million deal. Now they bring in Bogarts to play shortstop, which was preoccupied by a one Fernando Tatis Jr., who, as we know, not only was injured going into last year, but suspended and still has, I guess, off the top of my head, about another 25 to 35 games left to serve going into next year. But then they had the young shortstop, I believe the Korean kid, Sung Kim, who now is going to be moved to second base to where Jay Cronenworth, the second baseman, is going to be moved to first base. And then now Tatis, whenever he gets back, is going to be pushed to right field. And then, last but not least, you're going to push Soto from right to left. What the hell's going on here in San Diego? And give them credit. I understand they're trying to go for it. And if people are going to think, wow, they have to have the highest payroll in the sport, I believe right now it's about... $275 $275 million, if that's accurate from what I read this morning. But remember this, Manny Machado can opt out of, his, out of his deal after the 2023 season. Fernando Tatis Jr. is not going to make the big money, I believe, until after the 2024 season. So that's where it's going to exponentially go up, where I believe he's going to make about $10 million this year, maybe 10 to 12 I don't have the stats in front of me. But... It's not as if Tatis is going to make $30 million right out of the gate. And then Juan Soto is still two years away from him becoming a free agent, and you have to wonder whether or not the Padres are going to put forth all their poker chips to the middle of that table to see whether or not that Soto is going to be a part of the mix here for the next decade or so. And mind you, Soto turned down a $440 million deal that was presented by the Washington Nationals, and he said, uh-uh. And the only way he's going to get anything close to that is if he has a season equivalent to what Aaron Judge just had, and we know Soto is not that type of player. Yes, he does have power. Yes, he drives and runs, but he's not a guy that's going to hit 62 home runs. He may hit 35, tops 40, but we all know with the good eye that he has, he's more of a guy that's going to be very selective at the plate. He's not more of a free swinger like Judge is, where he has the ability to hit the ball out of the ballpark when it comes to swinging the bat more often, where Soto would more than be happy to take a walk than he would to hit the ball out of the ballpark. So you have that dynamic with the Padres and you have to wonder who's running the ship over there because their payroll is going through the roof. Now I understand $60 million is going to come off the books next year where you Darvish, Blake Snell, even Josh Hader, they're all going to come off the books and that could be on top of Machado if he does opt out and has close to an MVP season that he had this past year. And Bogarts, I'm sure he's going to fit like a glove there. We know the type of career he had in Boston. And on the flip side of that, if you're a Red Sox fan, my guy JD, I'm sure this is a day that you just gets you sick to your stomach. You lose Mookie Betts there a few years ago. By trade, I understand. And then another key cog to that 2018 championship team is now gone. And then you also have to wonder whether or not the Red Sox, after next year, are going to be able to sign Rafael Devers as they're going to go down this road again with their star third baseman. And you would think that they have to do anything and everything to keep this guy because the Red Sox faithful, they're going to wonder, what are we, a mid-market or a small market team? They play in a big city. They've had big payrolls. And they've had guys there that have made tons of money. Now all of a sudden we want a penny pinch. We want to nip and tuck and bring in guys that we never heard of. The... 
Yashadas or Yashidas of the world. Uh, what is happening there in Boston as well? Listen, I could go on and on, people, and I don't want to consume the whole podcast just talking baseball, and of course I can, but obviously there are other things to get to. I want to discuss what else has happened here in baseball over the last few days. Me being a Met fan, we know about the Grom. I talked about that on Monday. Justin Verlander now in the fold. It's a risk, people. And as I've said before, and I'll say one last time, the Mets have now become that team that they're hiring mercenaries to get them to a World Series. And I can't complain because they are trying. I understand that. But when you have a guy that at 38 years of age and a one Max Scherzer who got booed off of City Field there, game one of the wild card, and now you have Verlander who's had a very good postseason track record, because that's what I'm basing this on, people. These moves are made for October, not from April through the end of September. And let Verlander have a 16 or 17 and 6 year with a 2-5 ERA, a bunch of strikeouts, be in the running for another Cy Young, but we all know it's what happens between October 1st and November 7th, we'll say. That's it. And although he's had a stellar postseason career, but we all know his World Series record, it finally took him, what, seven chances before he got his first World Series win in Game 5 against the Phillies? And even then, he had to sweat through, I believe, 97 or maybe even 94 pitches and tough pitches, including Nick Castellanos in an eight-pitch at-bat when he flied out the left field, and then he exited the game to where the Astro bullpen saved him, and give it up, Astro bullpen was phenomenal this postseason, actually historic, but it wasn't as if Verlander was vintage, where he pitched seven innings, one run, three hit ball, ten strikeouts, and was dominant in his last World Series start. And it's only two years, I understand an option for a third, but you know what? I'll live with it. And of course, I have to deal with it being a Met fan. And the Jose Quintana signing, I do like that. He's a steady left-handed pitcher, had good numbers with the Pirates. I understand six and seven, but his ERA was low. And he did pitch well in the one outing against the Phillies in the wild card. And they took him out way too soon. I understand you have a rookie manager in Oliver Marmol, but I thought Quintana... Very good signing, two years, $26 million, and you would only hope that he could bring that efficiency, eat up innings, and be a steady cog as a third starter, where, as we all know, Scherzer and Verlander, fingers crossed, staying healthy, they're going to do all the heavy lifting. Taiwan Walker, former Met, now down the turnpike, just as we saw a few years ago with Zach Wheeler, four years, $72 million. I could see why the Mets wouldn't want to do that. I do like Taiwan Walker. He actually put in a couple of good years here with the Mets, but is he worth that much money? I get it. The going rate for a starting pitcher is at a premium, but still, I'd rather have Quintana, although maybe Walker's a smidge better, but again, Quintana being left-handed at $13 million a year, I'll take it. And then they also get left-handed reliever Matt Strom, so the Phillies certainly wheeling and dealing, although I'm not in love with the Trey Turner signing. As I mentioned earlier, does lengthen the lineup, gives you that leadoff hitter. If you want to put Schwarber at two, not that he's your prototypical two-hitter, or if you want Schwarber one, Turner two, I don't know. However the lineup is going to be written out by the manager, Rob Thompson, that's on him. Again, it's going to make that lineup probably one of the best in baseball. But Turner, in a big spot, has not been clutched. Just look at the back of his playoff baseball card. That's all you need to see. I talked about tie-on to the Cubs. Cody Bellinger, one year, $17.5 million. Boy, how the mighty have fallen. This guy was one of the top sluggers in baseball 
where he and Kristen Yelich were arguably the top two players in the National League where they flip-flopped MVP seasons and both of those guys have gone south. Although Yelich got his money, what was it, seven years, $181 million in Milwaukee where Bellinger, who knows if he's going to ever get that payday. And he's still a young player. We understand he swings for the fences and he's the prototypical modern-day player when it comes to the analytics with the launch angle and the exit velocity and forget about on-base percentage, forget about trying to be a smart hitter. It's feast or famine with this guy, and he's been a lot more famine than he's been feast ever since he won that MVP. Wilson Contreras signs with the Cardinals, which will be some big shoes to fill, although we all know he's a very good catcher, but with Yadier Molina gone, Passing the mantle over to Contreras, I'm sure he's going to do a very good job. He is a very good catcher, but we all know how much Molina means to that city, team, organization, etc. Josh Bell, I thought the Guardians, great signing there. Bringing Bell in two years, $33 million. Very good hitter, switch hitter. Has some playoff experience, so let's see what Tito Francona will do with him in the lineup. Speaking of the Red Sox, I forgot to mention Kenley Jansen. Two years, $32 million, which is good solidifies the back of that bullpen, and we all know the Red Sox need pitching. So with him, and then they also bring in the reliever, Chris Martin, at least that's some reinforcements to a bullpen that, as we all know, was spotty throughout the year, and they still need help in the rotation. Who knows if Chris Sale's ever going to be close to what he once was. So as we all know, the Red Sox have a lot of work to do this offseason, where you have an Oriole team that's on the rise, the Blue Jays, you figure that they're going to be in the running for the AL East The Rays, they always seem to do it, no matter, I don't want to say smoke and mirrors, but they always pull a rabbit out of their hat. And the Yankees, although they still have a lot of improvements that need to be done on their team, but having Judge and Rizzo back, we all know that they're going to be in the hunt in the AL. And the Red Sox, right now, are the last horse in this race, 50 lengths behind the other aforementioned teams. And that's what I have there for baseball people. I know we still have a couple other guys out there. In particular, Carlos Correa, what's going to happen with him? Another shortstop. And there's a few more people at the top of my head that right now I'm drawing blank because I don't want this to go any further than it is. I've already spent 20 to 25 minutes on the baseball. I still got the NFL to get to and some NBA, NHL, etc. So whatever that I've left on the table, I'll be sure to pick it up and place it back on Monday when we reconvene. But a lot of wheeling, a lot of dealing in San Diego, and I'm sure there may be something that could come through the pike here today as the winter meetings conclude in San Diego. But boy, that was a lot there over the last few days, and Christmas came early for a lot of teams that stayed the same, a la the Yankees, as they bring back their reigning AL MVP. Now let me take off the batting gloves and put on the helmet and shoulder pads for the NFL And before I even get to the week 14 schedule, two things that I want to mention off the bat. Von Miller's injury, that is going to be huge for Buffalo. And even though they're in the driver's seat and control their own destiny in the AFC as far as home field, and that's imperative for them to get it this year. As we saw the last two years, losing in Arrowhead in the championship game and in the classic division game last year. But for the Buffalo Bills, the reason why they brought Von Miller to their club was A, the leadership that he provides, B, the Super Bowl winning experience that he brings to a team that needs to get to a Super Bowl and finally over the hump, 
winning in Denver and last year in LA, and then more importantly, and finally, that he's able to get to the quarterback. That he is one of the premier pass rushers, even at his age, being in the league for what now, his 11th year, but we know how effective he is, he's a closer, he's a game wrecker, and now with him being out with an ACL, you can forget about him being in the lineup, and now he's going to be more of a cheerleader once he has the surgery, and I don't even know when he's scheduled to get his ACL repaired, but it is a huge blow by any means, whether the Bills get the home field or not, because we all know, getting to the quarterback in the postseason, especially in the fourth quarter, just ask Tom Brady in those two Super Bowls against the Giants, that is something that you cannot put a dollar amount on. And yes, you could have the quarterback that could throw 400 yards. And yes, you could have the quarterback that could be down by 10 in the fourth quarter and pull you out of the fire to victory. Or yes, you could have the running back that's going to get the big first down on third and one. You could have all these scenarios. But if you have the one guy that can rush the quarterback or the one guy that you know the offensive coordinator is going to say, we got to circle number 58 or we got to circle number 56 or we got to circle number 11 on the Dallas Cowboys. If you have that guy on your team, he has to be accounted for and that puts the fear in every offensive mind in the NFL. And knowing that Buffalo doesn't have that is enormous. So let's see how the Bills are going to fare here as we get into the home stretch of the season and then obviously into the playoffs. As far as Odell Beckham Jr., and I haven't spent much time on him over the last, whatever, few weeks as the rumblings are percolating with him making visits to the Giants, to the aforementioned Bills, and then the Cowboys just the other day. And what Jerry Jones had to say, I'm sure all the teams are backing off, especially the teams that are in the running to make it, whether into the playoffs or to a Super Bowl. Jerry Jones saying that we need him for right now and we feel that he is not 100% healthy in order for him to take us where we want to go. Was that an honest assessment? I would think so. Why would he want to disparage OBJ as he's trying to get a job here to see what he could do to bring his talents to a team that's trying to get and win a Super Bowl as he did last year in LA? But all the talk about Odo Beckham Jr. to me... And I understand it has to be talked about. And this is the only time I'm going to bring it up unless he does get signed at some point between now and the end of the season. But the only reason why I'm bringing it up, especially in the realm of the Cowboys, is that do the Dallas Cowboys really need Odo Beckham Jr.? I get it that he would be a weapon for Dak Prescott. I get it that he would add another element to the team. But to me, the Cowboys, their identity is their defense. And I won't even go as far as saying their run game. Because it wasn't... The same run game that we saw many years ago when Ezekiel Elliott was at the peak of his powers. And I understand having Tony Pollard, who has been very good throughout the course of this year, and it's that two-headed monster there at running back. And even though when you think of the Cowboys of the last five, six years, you think about their offensive line, you think about Ezekiel Elliott, you think about Dak Prescott making plays. And yes, they have had big wide receivers In particular, Amari Cooper, yes, is he one of the top three or four in the league? No, but we all know that he was a top target and he was brought in from the Raiders and traded a number one pick away, so you knew he was going to be a focal point of that offense to go along with CeeDee Lamb, Michael Gallup, Dalton Schwartz, etc. But as of right this moment, they don't need 
Odell Beckham Jr. They're perfectly fine. They're nine and three. It's not as if they're seven and five and oh, we need another weapon. No, their cupboard is full. And the Bills don't need them either. They have Stephon Diggs. They have Gabriel Davis, Dawson Knox. Why do they need another wide receiver? If anything, the perfect fit will be a remarriage with the Giants, but we all know that that's probably not going to happen, even if it is just for the remainder of the year. But I'm sure OBJ's looking for a multi-year deal, and I don't think the Giants are ready to plunk down three, four, dare I even say five years at $80 million or whatever the going rate is for a wide receiver in the sport. So to me, I'm not going to say it's much to do about nothing, but all the chatter, and I get it, that's where the debate shows and all these different hot take programs and podcasts, they're going to OBJ, 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 and I get it, that's what's going to bring either eyeballs to the sets or ears to the speakers or headphones or earbuds of everybody, and listen, I'm bringing it up now because of what Jerry Jones had to say the other day, and that's big because... Who knows whether or not OBJ is going to get a job based on the statement there by the Cowboys owner. So you have to take that in consideration. And yes, that is news to put forth on whether or not OBJ is going to latch onto a team here for the remainder of the year and try to see if he could be that final piece to whomever that team is puzzle to get them to a Lombardi trophy. Now as for the week 14 schedule tonight, ooh, you have a doozy out in LA, and the Rams are going to see a lot here unless they're going to get flexed out, and of course you can't flex out of this game the Vegas Raiders, who have actually played well here over the last few weeks, they're winners of three in a row they go to LA no, not to play the Chargers, because they already played the Chargers earlier this year, if you remember they're going to play the Rams, so I'm sure you could probably watch an NBA game on TNT, or if there's a hockey game, whatever that's a game that, ugh that can't draw flies, if you ask me but your Sunday slate is going to have these games of the must-watches. Jets at Buffalo, an enormous game for the Jets because they want to get back on the beam considering what had taken place here, the tough loss against Minnesota, as we know. And then, even though the week before, where they did beat the Bears, but because it is a division opponent, and even if they do win this game, they'll be a game closer to Buffalo, and if by any chance they ended up tied... They would have a tiebreaker over Buffalo, so that would be monumental for a Jet team that's trying to navigate their way through this AFC. So, although it may not be sexy, it's not your heavyweight matchup as we've seen in the past, it's not your Buffalo at Kansas City, it's not your Minnesota at Philadelphia Week 2, and little did we know then that those would be the top two teams in the NFC, but you know what I'm saying. But that's a game that we're going to have to pay attention to, and Buffalo's going to want to Give a little payback considering they lost to the Jets there at MetLife about a month or so ago. You have Philadelphia and the Giants. Again, not a sexy game, but the Giants after that tie last week against the Commanders. This is a borderline must win. Now, next week will be an absolute must win for them. But if they really want to keep pace in the division, and especially with the Commanders, they have to win this game. Because if they lose this game and then go to Washington where the Commanders are going to come off of a bye. That could doom the Giants here for 2022. So that's a game we have to keep an eye on. Tampa Bay at San Francisco. After a Monday night game where the Saints gift from the gods and an early Christmas gift gave to the Buccaneers. Where the Brady-led 
Bucks were down 16-3 late in the fourth quarter, and they came back with two touchdown drives to seal it, including the game winner with three seconds to go. So let's see how they're going to fare in San Francisco with Brock Purdy. And a lot of talk about the Niners, whether or not they still have what it takes to get to a Super Bowl, even with the Iowa State quarterback on the center. They do have the formula. Great defense, run game, if Purdy could just be a manager, similar to what Jimmy Garoppolo has been. And even though Garoppolo can make the throws, but he also has made bad throws throughout the course of his Niner career. All you got to do is just look at the Super Bowl overthrowing Emmanuel Sanders and a couple of the games that we can mention as well. But can Purdy be that guy to just manage the game, not make the key turnover or any turnover for that matter in a critical spot and let the defense carry you and the run game, hopefully through January and maybe to Glendale, Arizona for the Super Bowl. So that's a game we have to keep an eye on. I know Miami goes to LA to play the Chargers, which was flexed to the Sunday night game. Miami coming off that loss to San Francisco, trying to keep pace with Buffalo, and the Chargers just pretty much trying to, at this point, either sink or swim as far as their playoff chances in the AFC at the moment. And then you have Seattle, who's still trying to wade in the NFC waters as they host Carolina. Not really a big game there, but we're talking about teams that are in the playoff mix. Cleveland-Cincinnati, let's see if Cleveland has any gas in the tank to go to Cincinnati to beat the Bengals who are riding high after that win against the Chiefs. And think about this, they started their season 0-2 and they're 8-2 since then. Your Monday night games, New England and Arizona. New England, as we all know, they're still in the hunt only because the Jets have come back to the pack and they have tiebreakers against them. But the schedule is what it is. You do have some games that we can look at here. You want to say Minnesota and Detroit only because Detroit has an outside shot looking in at 5-7. and seven. I'm not going to give you that, but okay. Besides that, oh, Baltimore-Pittsburgh. No Lamar Jackson. Steals have won three in a row. You have Tyler Huntley, who is a capable backup. And as I said before, he's not a Lamar 2.0. He's more of a Lamar light, if you ask me. Plays more with his legs than his arm. But with Pittsburgh playing pretty well... And I'm sure they want to play spoiler. And I bet Mike Tomlin is hammering that point home. Guys, we may be two, even three games back of the AFC playoff picture. But we can control our own destiny here if we run the table. Now, they did split against the Bengals. And they've already lost three games in the division. So, or wait, let me think about that. No, they lost two games. They're one and two in the division. They still have the two games against the Ravens and one game against Cleveland at the end of the year. But you know Tomlin's going to try to hammer that point home. Ravens week. No Lamar Jackson. Come on, guys. We could do this. Get that much closer to 500. And let's see where we could go from there. Where they still have to go to Carolina, a winnable game. They still have the Raiders, who are playing better. But they could win that game as well. Not that that's a key game. But it's key in the AFC North. Because Baltimore could actually take a step back. And concede the AFC North to the Bengals. Provided that the Bengals beat the Browns there on Sunday. So overall, a pretty good schedule. Of course, there's going to be some duds in the middle, but here we are, people. Your by teams this week, six teams, Atlanta, Chicago, Green Bay, Indy, New Orleans, Washington. Other than the Commanders, none of those teams you're going to miss, which is good. And I believe next week is the final week for the buys. It actually could be this week. Let me double check that. Maybe this is the final week. I think there is one more week of buys. No, this is it. 
So after this week, full set of games, schedule will be all intact, all 32 teams, and let's see where the chips fall here. And come Monday, I'll start breaking down the playoff picture. We still have five more games after this week. I mean, think about that, people. Week 15 is next week, and that's when we can really take a look, those final four games. But after this week, we'll definitely take a lay of the NFL land and dissect where we are as far as playoff picture is concerned as we get deeper into the month, deeper into this NFL season, as we get closer to breaking down what the brackets will look like in both the AFC and NFC. And again, still a few more weeks to go, people, so... NFL fans rejoice as we get into the home stretch of this campaign. All right, now let me turn my attention to the NBA as I lace up the high tops. And what we have at this moment where a lot of teams have played more than a quarter of their season. And just from the surface, when you look at the Western Conference, and we've talked about this before, how much of a logjam it is. And I believe 10 days ago, on that Monday podcast, I talked about how the top 11 teams in the Western Conference were all separated by, I believe at the time, was four and a half games. Well, it's gone up a half game to where they are now separated by four games. And if I would have told you this morning as you wake up that who is in first place in the Western Conference, and I'm talking about first overall, not in the division, who is the leader of the pack out West? As far as the best record goes, you'd probably say, oh, is it the Phoenix Suns? I know they played better. Chris Paul came back in the mix after missing all those games with that sprained heel and did not play well yesterday. And the Suns were just awful when you think about it. The Celtics blew them out, and I'll get to them in a minute. No, it's not them. No, it's not the Grizzlies. It's definitely not the Lakers as they're kind of navigating, trying to get back to 500. And it looked like they were about to do so when they lost in Cleveland where after the first quarter, Anthony Davis had to leave because he had flu-like symptoms. LeBron did not play last night in Toronto where the Lakers lost because of ankle soreness. So even as they inch closer to 500, now they take a couple steps back. No, it's not them. No, it's not the Clippers. No, it's not the Nuggets. No, it's not the Mavs. And no, not even the Sacramento Kings who are 13-10 and 10 at the moment. It is the New Orleans Pelicans, people. They are currently in the midst of a five-game winning streak, 16-8. and eight. As we all know, the young coach, Willie Green, has done an excellent job there with that team. Zion back in the mix. I know he's been in and out of the lineup, especially early on in the year. But now the Pelicans. And we all know this could change come Monday. For all we know, the Grizzlies will be in first place by the time we reconnect three days from now. But for the Pelicans to now, I'm not going to say make this leap. A little bit too premature to say that. But for them... And for how they closed out their year, pushed the Suns to six competitive games in the opening round last year, was a stepping stone to what lied ahead this year. And knowing that they have Zion back, and with all of their young players, and even Brandon Ingram, he hasn't played much as of late due to injury. But their coach has their team playing cohesive. Obviously, they're all on the same page. They're believing what he's saying, and it's great to see because we all thought that once Zion got drafted there, and with all the draft picks that they got from the Lakers and the Anthony Davis deal, that this could be a team that is going to be on the rise and one to be reckoned with here in the 2020 decade, we'll say. And that's not to say that, oh, they've arrived. That's not to say that, oh, watch out, here they come. 
Yeah, they're here, but now let's see what they do with a little bit of success, not reading the press clippings that much. We understand New Orleans is not a national team, but they're going to get their shine in the NBA circles that hopefully they're not acting too big for their britches or puffing out their chest to think that, yeah, we're the team out West. We're the team that they're going to have to come through in order for us to be that championship-level team. That's where they have to pump the brakes. But you know what? You have to like what you see there, considering everything that happened there between Anthony Davis being traded, Zion being drafted, and it was hallelujah, but then him getting injured, him not playing a whole year, having a guy like Stan Van Gundy come in to coach the team, which we thought was going to be big, but of course was tuned out by the younger players. Now you bring in a guy like Willie Green, who can relate to the players, former player, knows what it takes, one of those young gun type of coaches, whether you're a guy like Joe Mazzula in Boston, or even Will Hardy, you want to even throw in, dare I say, Ime Odoka, those young guys who knows what it takes, who's been around a team, etc., and Willie Green has done that and then some here as he tries to put the Pelicans not only just on the NBA map, but pretty much throughout the sports landscape. So kudos to what he's done here so far as we keep our eye on the Pelicans. Yes, we can talk about the Celtics. The Celtics have been by far anything and everything that I could ever imagine with everything that happened with the aforementioned Adoka heading into training camp, let alone the regular season. And we all understand that this team, with some of the offseason acquisitions, Malcolm Brogdon, I know Gallinari, who's not played and probably won't play this year, even though he's trying to get himself back before the end of the year. And the depth that they have on this team, how well that they've played, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, I believe, and I would think, not that I know, but I would think they took that loss to the Golden State Warriors, who, by the way, they play on Saturday. Saturday night, you're a Saturday showdown on ABC. I'm sure that has stuck with them ever since because they are both playing not only on NBA first-team status, but they're playing like MVPs. They have been by far a dynamic duo that the league has to watch out for. And we could kid about how they ran out of gas down the stretch, how they couldn't even dribble twice up the court before they got manhandled by whether it was Miami or even Golden State in those final two rounds. And now, here they are. 21-5, best record in the sport. They've won eight of the last nine in the midst of a West Coast trip. They're going to reconnect with the Warrior team as of right this moment. And I didn't even mention them when I talked about the teams out West. Middling at 500, and they suffered a brutal loss there last night against the Jazz, which I didn't really watch, but I just read this morning. This team could really be championship or bust. And I mean win the whole thing. Not go back to the finals, but win it. That's what I see with this Celtic team. And I get it, there's going to be some stiff competition there, whether it's going to be the Bucks, even the Cavaliers. you got to give it up for them and what they've done here so far. Talk about a young gun coach, J.B. Bickerstaff. I forgot about him. Who knows what the Nets, should I throw in Jock Vaughn in that mix? Eh, a little bit too soon. But you figure that the Nets would finally get on track, and they have after their early season slumber, as they're a couple games over 504th in the Eastern Conference. And all this is going to unfold as we get deeper into the month and we get closer to Christmas, which is the banner day for the NBA, even with the NFL, as I talked about a couple weeks ago. So you know I'll continue to keep my fingers on the pulse. I'll talk more NBA here on Monday. I kind of wanted to pivot to what's happening on the ice 
in the NHL. I know it seems to be the same old song and dance when it comes to whether it's the Bruins or even the Devils for that matter. And we all know they've gotten off the torrid starts. In fact, the Bruins finally lost a home game the other day and it was in an overtime shootout scenario. So as much as we want to talk about them, finally at, I believe, 13-0 to start off their season at home, they did lose to the Golden Knights there in overtime. I believe that was the game was in overtime what they lost. Or was it just... Uh, no, actually, yes. It was in a shootout scenario. Was not in overtime. But then you have the Devils and what they've done, as we've seen here over the last month and change. And I get it. I don't want to continue to squeeze out any more juice out of that lemon, but you get where I'm coming from. But with the NHL, the only thing that I can really bring up here at this point, I know Ovechkin got two empty netters there yesterday against the Flyers. He's now at 795 for his illustrious career. So he's five away from 800, six away from Gordie Howe, and seven from eclipsing him and having only Wayne Gretzky ahead of him on the all-time goals list in the National Hockey League. You had a scenario last night where Tage Thompson of the Buffalo Sabres, and you're saying, why are you bringing him up, Jay Reels? The Sabres are next to last in the Atlantic. But Thompson did something that we haven't seen in quite some time. He scored four goals in the first period last night against Columbus, and five overall was one away from the NHL record set by Daryl Sittler many years ago for the Toronto Maple Leafs. In fact, that was the famous game where Sittler had 10 points in that game, six goals, four assists. Could you imagine? That's a career for some people. But Thompson had the five goals, so that was an achievement that we rarely see. A hat-trick, obviously, we've seen time and time again. Four goals, that's pretty good stratosphere. But five, that is a whole nother level. So Tate Thompson did that for a Sabre team that is obviously just mired in mediocrity there at 12-13-1. But other than that, the Rangers trying to turn it around a little bit, and they've been disappointing There's been a lot of talk of maybe Gerard Gallant on the hot seat there with the Rangers. He had a big win in Vegas last night as they won 5-1. And I would think that they're going to be on a West Coast trip considering, yes, they go to play the Avalanche tomorrow as they will continue to play out West. Other than that, anything else I could bring up here on the NHL front? Nothing much, people. As we all know, the fall and winter sports are going to be what they are. Game in and game out, night in, night out. Unless there's some storylines, unless there's something that's really percolating with a team that's riding high. I know the Penguins have played a little bit better here as they've moved up the standings. Remember, they had that seven-game losing streak about a month ago, and now they've played a lot better to where they're third in the Metropolitan Division. So they've certainly moved up the ranks. And the Penguins are not going anywhere. I believe Sidney Crosby had a hat-trick the other day off the top of my head. So the Penguins, they're always going to be in the mix here. Despite the fact that they're aging, despite the fact that they're... Halcyon days are behind them, but whenever you have those three guys there, and we know Latang is out, their defenseman Chris Latang because of the stroke that he suffered, but we all know that they're going to be part of the equation when it comes to being in the playoff circles, especially in the Metropolitan Division, but we're still a long way from that, but that's pretty much what I have here with the NHL. Oh, one other thing, how can I forget this? I mentioned Colorado. Nathan McKinnon is going to be out for at least four weeks with an upper body injury. That's a big blow for the Stanley Cup champs who have not really fared well. They've lost their last three. And considering coming off of a cup and McKinnon winning not only the Stanley Cup, but also getting the highest payday in the sport, I don't want to say Stanley Cup hangover, but maybe there is some truth to that. But 
be that as it may, the Avalanche will not have their big star in the lineup here for at least the next four weeks, so that's something we'll have to keep an eye on. Two other quickies before I bid adieu. One, the soccer, as we get into the quarterfinal rounds here this coming weekend, actually tomorrow and Saturday, we talked about the U.S. on Monday and everything that happened against the Netherlands and some of the other news and notes over the last few days. I know Ronaldo, that benching was huge with the attitude that he's had, not only, I guess, maybe more so toward the coach than to the team as they routed Switzerland the other day. But Ronaldo, we got to see what's going to happen with him as Portugal will play Morocco, who upset Spain, I understand, in penalty kicks as it was a 0-0 tie and they were able to prevail in the extra session or really during the penalty kick round. But Portugal, let's see what Ronaldo, if they made amends or if he made amends with the coach. I know that was one of the reasons why he was benched. So who knows if that is permeated throughout the team. It certainly didn't affect their performance against Switzerland. But now as we get to Saturday, where they'll play Morocco there, uh, 10 a.m., which is the first game prior to the big match between England and France. And we know that that is going to be where all eyes are going to watch that. England is a team that I picked to win the whole thing. And that's not going out on the limb by any stretch. But France, we know how formidable they are and what they're going to be able to do. We all know about Mbappe, the big striker, the big player on their team. Not that I know a lot about him, so I'm certainly not going to lay any type of assessment. Of course, I know who he is, and he's going to be one that the English team they're going to have to contend with. But as we look at these final four matches, Croatia and Brazil tomorrow, 10 a.m. This is the precursor to the Netherlands and Argentina, and obviously with Lionel Messi. I would think, off the top of my head, Argentina and Brazil, we know that is going to be monumental. That is going to be one that I'm sure a lot of people are going to want to keep an eye on. And if I had to guess in the other bracket, I'm sure they want to see England and Portugal, maybe France and Portugal. I think if Morocco gets there, that'd be great. But you want to have your stars there. You want to have Ronaldo playing in a semifinal, England-France, I think either one of those two teams, it doesn't matter, that's going to be a main attraction. Brazil and Argentina, that speaks for itself. No offense to Netherlands or Croatia, which I'm sure, hey, they got here for a reason, and I would think that they're going to put up good fights here to try to get to that semifinal. But if you have Argentina, Brazil, England and or France against Portugal, I think you hit a grand slam. And this is me not fully into the soccer, as you well know. But I'm not stupid. It's not as if I'm completely, entirely under a rock. I think if you're Fox, and it doesn't matter Fox with the rating, because I'm sure they're going to get a big rating anyway, as big as soccer has become, maybe not in this country, but throughout the world. But they have gotten good ratings, especially the USA games. And who knows if the American public is going to gravitate to see whether or not a Brazil-Argentina is going to be on their radar to watch 2 o'clock on the 13th. And the same for England-France versus Portugal, if it happens to be that way, on the 14th at 2 p.m. to set the stage for the World Cup Final. Remains to be seen. And I'm not going to predict here, people. I couldn't tell you. I could just pull a hat out of the ring. I'm rooting for England. That's the team I picked from the start. So I'm going to think that they're going to go all the way. In the other bracket, Argentina-Brazil. I would think it's probably going to be Brazil, but if Argentina gets there, would I be shocked? Absolutely not. But let's see how it plays out. I know come Monday, I'll get into it. We'll talk more about 
what the semifinal matchups will be and prepare ourselves for the final week of the World Cup come Monday. And then lastly, I got to give props to this guy and a sad story at that. Mills Lane, the old-time boxing referee, the one who always said, let's get it on. Bald head, old white guy. If you're a fight fan, you know exactly who I'm talking about. Unfortunately, passed yesterday at the age of 85. God bless him and God rest his soul. Thoughts, prayers, condolences go out to him. One of the more reputable and well-known boxing referees that the sport has ever seen, especially in this modern era. A guy that you knew that when Mills Lane was going to referee a fight, it was going to be fair. You could wasn't going to be the Richard Steeles of the world. No offense to you, my guy, but you didn't have to worry about, oh, he stopped the fight too soon. Oh, what are you doing? Oh, what's happening here, Mills Lane? It's just going out of control. No, he was a guy that was well-respected and obviously had a big reputation. So thoughts, prayers, and condolences again to the Lane family as he transitions at the age of 85. And that'll do it, my good people. Another episode just about in the books. As always, I appreciate you stopping by to listen to what it is that I have to say about what goes on in the world of sports. Trust me, your participation is never taken for granted. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you get your podcast. Throw me a few stars, write a review, like I mentioned at the very top, just so we can increase the visibility, people. We want people to know that this is a one-stop shopping for all your sports talk right here as you've experienced and witnessed over the past 58 minutes, whether it's your first time or your third time, if you've been around for quite some time or go back to the very beginning, you know how much I enjoy presenting my thoughts, opinions, analysis on everything that's happening in sports. So if you could do that, I would greatly appreciate it. If you want to hit me up on social media or by email with a question, comment, criticism, praise, suggestion, you could do so on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, The J Reels Podcast, Twitter, J Reels One Just a Number, The J Reels Podcast at gmail.com via email. And then if you want to contribute to this endeavor, you could do so by going to my Patreon page, P is in Paul, A T is in Tom, R E O N is in Anti.com slash the J Reels Podcast. Whatever you want to put forth, we'll go 100% to this production, the upkeep of the website, the equipment, etc. Because whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to talk about, people. It's in the blood, it's in the DNA since day one, even since in the womb. Swimming around in my mom's belly, not to get all graphic and give you a little TMI. But, people, I'm not going anywhere. As long as I'm here, this is what I breathe, eat, sleep, with thoughts, opinions, analysis, critiques, praises on anything and everything that happens. On the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx to South Beach to South Central to South Pacific and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the foot, baby.